Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Okay, so here we go. Let's get into the Word of God this morning. Uh, We've been talking about uh, a series over the past few weeks about our minds, our thought patterns, and it's about thinking right, living right. And uh, last week we heard from Pastor Joe who spoke about moving from anger to forgiveness. And today uh, we want to talk about another way that or another thing that we need to focus on is moving from idolatry to contentment. And the purpose behind these sermons is to challenge us to reset our minds, to reset our thinking, and to believe that it's possible to do so. Often we come into this place and, uh, you know, the damage is done even before we walk in because we don't think that anything can change within us. We think, no, this is the way I've been wired up. This is the way my thoughts process. I can't, you know, live a godly life. I can't live for Jesus because this is just the way I am. The that the battle's been lost before you even walk into this place. But what we need to believe is that we can have a transformation of heart and of mind, and that's by the Holy Spirit, and that's by Jesus Christ. Many of the trials we face every day start in our minds. We heard last week about how anger, if, if we don't deal with it appropriately, can grow into something much more and eventually cause us to sin. Anger in itself is not a sin, it's a feeling, but it's the battle that's going on up here that can let it turn into sin. And the antidote was from moving from uh, the antidote was moving from anger to forgiveness. So what we want to look at today is being able to change our thinking. We need to move from a path of idolatry into a path of contentment, being content. They're two very big and broad terms. Quite um, Hard to understand sometimes, but when we understand them um, in their entirety, it can have a significant impact on our walk with God. So why don't we look at our key scripture here in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verses 5 to 8. Come on, you with me church? Turn to the word. Romans chapter 8, 5 to 8. Here we go. It says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed, governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Let's just pray before we move on. Father, you're a good God. God, we all have this struggle. No, no one of us are exempt from this, this struggle with idolatry. So many times the idols are built up in our lives. And Father, we want to give them to you this morning. We pray that the word would speak directly into our soul and help us to change and to grow closer to you. Use me, use my words, Lord God, I give you my life in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to give you a bit of context to this scripture, a bit of a background. So Romans chapter 7, in Romans chapter 7, the chapter before, Paul had just written about his 
battle or his struggle with sin, he says, a classic scripture from there, I do not do what I want to do and what I want to do, I can't do. I can't seem to do it. There's this struggle with sin. Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest Christians to ever live. And then he moves on into chapter 8 to give us a bit of hope. In chapter 8 verse 1 he says, For now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, we don't need to remain in our sin. There's a way through it. And it's through Christ Jesus. Then he moves on into chapter 8 verses 5. And this is where we get to where he says, there are two ways that we can set our mind, two things that we can set our minds on. Number one is the flesh. Number two is the spirit. Two things that we can set our minds over. And just to quickly go through this. What does it mean to have your mind on what the flesh desires? The flesh is our sinful nature. It's within all of us. Every believer has the flesh and the spirit. But we don't need to live by the flesh. Paul says that the thing you think about the most, the things that control your thoughts, and what we've learned over the past couple of weeks is that these thoughts will then flow into how we behave. Remember what you think is, will affect how you feel and then it'll affect your actions and that's the cycle, right? So it'll, it'll affect our behaviours and our thinking. It can either be controlled by the flesh or by the spirit. And our flesh is our sinful nature. For, for some of us, man, that's old school terminology. I don't want to hear about that. But this is very real in our lives, isn't it, church? This is a battle that is continuing in our daily lives. And what Paul is saying is that there's actually no middle ground. Gee, that's a bit harsh, Paul, isn't it? He goes on to say that if our thinking patterns are going to be controlled by the flesh, that actually leads to separation from God. It's spiritual death. It's saying, God, you're going that way, I'm going that way. But if, and, and the other way, the other thing he's talking about is it's enmity between us and God. So it's, it's not even just that it's separation, but it's we've chosen to live against God. Whatever he's thinking, whatever he's talking about in his word, our thoughts are on a different path. We're totally against God. And you might be thinking, that's, that's harsh, Paul, isn't it? Why are you writing that? You know, Paul, maybe my mind isn't fully for the, on the Spirit of God. It's not fully controlled by the Spirit. But I wouldn't say I'm against God. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm an enemy against God. But this is what the scripture says is that, hey, if we're not under the control of the spirit, of the Holy Spirit, which gives us life and peace, eventually our minds will be under the control of the flesh. It's either one or the other. And the flesh, the Bible says, leads to death and separation against God. Man, are you happy that you came into church this morning? Woo! <laughs> Come on, you with me, church? There is always a constant battle that is going on within us. And one of the biggest battles is in our minds. What Paul is warning us is not about 
those fleeting thoughts that come. Oh, it's, it's a, a thought of lust or, you know, it might be a, a thought to lie or to cheat or wh- whatever it might be. It's not those thoughts that come into our mind because they do come. Every single one of us has to deal with those thoughts. Some of those thoughts we wouldn't even repeat to other people because it's so bad. It's not about those thoughts, but it's how we respond to those thoughts. Are we controlled by the flesh? Because if we are, those thoughts will then fester and go down that path of idolatry. It's not going to be under the control of the Spirit who will rid us of those thoughts and then help us to live a godly and righteous life. Um, We can let the flesh control our thinking or be led by the Spirit. What happens when we start to let our minds be governed by the flesh? Well, one of those things we do is we turn to idolatry. It's not easy to narrowly define what idolatry is. When we think of it, we we automatically go to the Old Testament. We think of the people of God who built the golden statue. We'll talk about that in a moment. And, you know, they're always falling. They're building statues and idols. And we think, oh, gee, I don't have statues in our... We don't have a statue out there that's, you know, like a golden calf or anything like that. Um, And we, we automatically go to the first two commandments. And these are... You must not have any other God but me and you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. Martin Luther used to say, he used to say, look, if any of the other eight commandments you know the 10 commandments if any of the other eight commandments are broken you could probably bring it back to that the first two commandments of idolatry were broken first which means a lot of our sin what he's saying is a lot of our sin can be traced back to idolatry that's where it starts um so the question is how does this apply to us in 2020 we're in the year 2020 yeah Pinch yourself, we're in 2020. Not many people in uh, Western cultures build statues to worship, but we do make our own idols in various ways. And that's basically what idolatry comes down to. Worshipping something or someone other than God. It's giving your affection towards something more than you give your affection towards God. Your, your thought patterns are, are controlled more on the idol or by the idol other than God. It's putting your trust in something else other than God. And the easiest way of understanding idolatry is this. You value or it's valuing something higher than valuing God it's when you value and when you value something uh, more than God two things happen two things happen number one we suppress the truth of God which means we almost call him a liar we say you're not God this is God in my life wow that's harsh to hear isn't it And the second thing we do is we put God's character into question. The very person of who he is, his glorious majesty, his his awesome wonder. We put that into question, that he's a faithful God, that we trust in him and we believe that he's going to come through. We put that into question because we're trusting in our idol. You with me, church? And and just to give you an example, I mean, if we really value our work or our business, 
and we get to the point where we value it above God, then we're going to do anything to make it succeed. That's where our thinking's going to be. It's going to be relying upon that work, that business. And if that means, you know what, if I miss church every once in a while because I've got to put more time into the business, so be it. That's where my focus is going to be. If I'm going to, uh, you know, put my time aside, uh, you know, miss out on time with the family, so be it. My, that's my focus. If, if I don't spend time in God's presence or spending that devotion time with God, now my focus is work. And consciously, you're not actually thinking, God, you're, you're put aside for now. I've got to focus on work. But deep down, this idol is in control of your life. Um, Work is good. We were created for it. Business is a good thing. Being successful and wealthy are great blessings. But they make terrible gods. Yeah? They make terrible gods. What idols do is this. Idols use good things and make them out to be more than they should be. They take a good thing in, in, in wealth and success and, and money, which, which is a blessing from God. They take that and they make it out into be more than it should be. We put our value in it. We put our worth in it. And it becomes our God. See, we were created to worship God and to rule over all creation. That all changed when Adam and Eve sinned. They purposely disobeyed God and because of their disobedience, they had chosen the path of idolatry. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 1. It's on the screen. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. What God intended for us was to worship him and to use all of creation to our benefit. But what's happened is we've, we've seen that role reverse. What we've done is a lot of us, we've chosen the path of idolatry. In fact, it's something we're all dealing with. We've all got to battle through. And, and what we've got to battle through because of the fall is the reversed order where we use creation. We worship created things and use God for our own benefit. The roles are totally reversed. The reality is, eventually these created things take rule over our lives. And as a result of this path of idolatry, our souls are never truly content. We're never content. We're always searching for more. We're thinking, is this it? We're thinking that if I put my trust and my worth and my value in this little God here, It'll bring me happiness and fulfillment, but our souls are never truly content. You see, God is either God of all or he's not God at all. 
It's from a beautiful song written by Kirk Franklin. Go check it out. It's called Idols. And he wrote it and it's just, that, that hit me. God is either God of all or is not God at all. God is wanting everything of your heart. He's wanting your all, everything that you have within you, your desires, your passions. We must surrender it to Jesus, to God. That is what the gospel is all about, church. He is either God of everything. He is either God of all or He doesn't want to be God at all. It means we're either serving Him or we're serving another God. We can never serve two masters, Jesus says. It's either one or the other. And is the question is, church, is, God, the God of all in our lives. Is He everything to us? Is He our King? Is He our Lord? Is He everything to us? So we're going to look at a couple of idols here. I got this material from someone else. Just, I'm not smart. This is just from someone else. So that's cool, right? These people are smarter than me. But I'm sure this guy, so this was from Matt Chandler. But Matt Chandler said he got it from someone else. And I reckon that person probably got it from someone else. It just happens, right? There's nothing new under the sun. There's always a, a, an idea done in a different way. But um, what we want to look at is what I call the iceberg effect. About two different types of idols. You see, we've got the surface idols. And we've got the source idols, the surface idols. Who, who's seen Titanic? Anybody seen Titanic? Yeah, yeah, I cried in it. Everybody else cried? Yeah, cool, all right. It's not my idol. I don't, I, that's not my idol. Titanic's not my idol. But I, I just cried in it because, you know, Jack and like Rose. <laughs> it's, it's teary, right? So anyway, they, they go see the, you see the iceberg and they're, and they're traveling through, you know, the ocean. And, and they, don't, they don't see the full iceberg. They see this little bit of ice on the top and you think, Oh, gee, yeah, I can get through that. There's no problem there. But who knows that the iceberg, the biggest problem with the iceberg, the danger is down underneath. On top, we see a little bit on the surface. And that's just giving us a warning that there's a massive iceberg underneath. And that's going to sink the ship. And this is, <coughs> this is the same for idolatry. Where we have these surface idols. It's, it's the things we can see. And, you know, often we turn to our, we're thinking about our neighbor here. Oh, you know, this, this is affecting them. You know, we think of the surface idols like image. You know, constantly focusing on, on receiving, uh, you know, likes on our social media and what do I look like and building my own brand and image. This happens, man. Don't, don't think, oh, those people, they're, you know, they're in trouble. It happens to a lot of us. Come on, church. You know, this, this thing about image always, gain, I need to look good. I need to act a certain way. That's just the surface idol. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. There's money. There's fame, there's celebrity. We look to celebrities and, you know, we're, uh, you know, we look to sport. I didn't put sport on there because that's probably my idol, right? So, you know, we go to sport and, and you know, that, and we see like, oh, people that are just like living for that. Their value is in that. And even work. Work can be this surface idol. We see people that, you know, just put so much time and effort into their work and you don't see them about. They go MIA for like six years. You don't know where they are because they're just focusing on work and career and business. And it's that, that, that's what we call a surface idol. Because that's on top. We could see there's an issue there, but the biggest danger is what's actually happening underneath. The biggest danger of the iceberg is what's happening underneath. And this is what we call source idols. 
There's four of them, but there's probably so many more, and so many more surfers idols, right? We, we could turn anything into an idol. We could turn anything into a, a little G God, right? We could turn anything into that. But here's four of them for source idols. The, the God of comfort. I only have value. This, this sentence goes before all these four source idols. This is what an idol is. I only have value or I only have worth if I have this kind of pleasure or comfort in my life. Um, comfort worshippers want a lack of stress, a lack of freedom. A lot of us in this place probably want a bit of that too. That's okay. It's okay to have comfort. It's okay to seek after comfort, but it makes for a lousy God. And what comfort worshippers are willing to pay for, they're willing to pay, uh, you know, give up productivity. They don't even care if they're productive as long as they're comfortable. Their greatest nightmare is stress and demand. Comfort worshippers struggle to build deep relationships. If you, you, you see comfort worshippers because they won't necessarily have deep relationships because deep relationships take work. And it and it takes us being vulnerable to someone else. It takes us being in a place of not being so comfortable, being uncomfortable, yeah? So a lot of com- comfort worshippers' relationships are just, you know, surface-level weather talk. They can't go deep with people because I don't, I don't want to go there. I just want to be comfortable. They, um, the one who worships comfort can't have these relationships, deep relationships, because they just bounce between different relationships. The problem with the comfort God is that it never delivers what it truly promises. Because the more comfort you pursue or you seek, it will actually never fully satisfy. Here's why. Because our hearts were created to abide in community, to abide in relationship. We need to be vulnerable to other people. We need to have those deep relationships. It's how we were wired up. And if we um, kind of step away from that, or if we just try and be comfortable in our lives and never pursue anything, we're never going to be fully satisfied. Comfortability is a good thing. It's good to have no... I don't want to be stressed out all the time, please. That's not what we're saying. Being comfortable is good, but it's, a not, it's not a good God. It never truly satisfies. Second one is power. We worship power. Life only have, has meaning or I only get value out of life or worth out of my life if I have power over others. Power worshippers will overburden themselves. They'll constantly, yeah, I, I could do this. I can, I can take that on board. I'll do this by myself. So they can gain power or influence over someone else. And it's not just about winning for power worshippers, but it's also about not losing because the greatest nightmare of a power worshipper is humiliation. They do not want to be humiliated. People around power worshippers most often feel used. The person that worships power doesn't necessarily like you. It's about what you can bring to them, to their relationship, to build their influence. Power worshippers are competitive. I'm competitive. Put up your hand if you're competitive in this place. Anybody? Yeah. 
Well, some people didn't. Here, here you go. Competitive people. You will win if you put up your hand and you're competitive. Ready? Put up your hand if you're competitive. Yeah, there's a few more hands going up, right? We like to win. There is nothing wrong with good competition, with healthy competition. We have a lot of it here at church in our staff rooms, right? If we played sport against one another, we would go in with competition. We want to win. It's okay. There's healthy uh, competition. It's okay to watch sport and, and, you know, like your team to win. We don't go to the sport and say... Oh, well done, the other team, for kicking that goal. You know, we don't say that. That's not what we're building. It's okay to have some competition. But what happens is the, the God of power, if it turns into an idol, it's a crummy God. It can never fulfill what's really going on inside. If competition becomes our God, if winning becomes our God, if power becomes our God, it'll never satisfy us. And then we've got control. Life only has meaning. I, I find I have worth, I have value if I'm in control or if I get mastery over whatever, fill in the blank. It could be work. If I master my job, if I master being the best parent or the best, I don't know, whatever it is, I have control over my life. Control worshippers, they want discipline, they want certainty, they want standards. They don't really mind if they're lonely. Their thoughts are like, what's the weather going to be like? Should I wear this? Should I do that? No one around me can be in any kind of danger. This is where their thinking is just constantly ticking over. A common sentence out of a control worshipper's mouth is, why can't you just? Because they want everything to be perfect. And what is their biggest nightmare is fear. Fear enslaves them. Fear enslaves them. That's their God. Control is a good thing. It's great to have discipline. In fact, I need more of it. A lot of us need more of discipline and standards are good. They're good to be met. But when fear becomes the true goal of that and, and we're worshipping control in our lives, it makes for a terrible God. It doesn't live up to its standards. And the last one is approval. This is a big one. You think about image. You think about, oh, if I just take this selfie, like I'm going to get a lot of likes and we see all of that stuff happening and that's quite obvious to all of us here right now, right? But it's image is just the surface. You, you, can, you can get rid of that surface older and say, I'm just going to take a break from social media for, you know, uh, a month and that'll deal with that idol, right? That'll deal with the idol for that month but the... The, the source of the idol is still there. And what we're really dealing with is approval. If I'm loved or respected by dot, 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 then I, find I have worth and value in my life. If I, if I receive all these likes, then I'm accepted. Your greatest nightmare is rejection. You don't like space as an approval worshipper. You need people around you because you seek that approval. You won't fully uh, be, sorry, you won't be real with people because you will never really speak your mind. You don't want to offend anyone. With this person, you'll be a certain way and then you'll go have some chats with this person and you'll be a certain way. You don't want to offend that person. You don't really, you have an opinion. You think, gee, that person, what they said, they need to be told something. And you'll never really say it because you can't go to that next level because you don't want to offend them. You just want their approval. 
It's okay to want approval, to desire to be accepted. That's how we were wired up. The desire to be loved and affirmed is a positive thing. When someone comes and gives you an encouragement, man, no, that's a good thing. You don't say, oh, sorry, don't do that. That's idolatry. You don't do that, right? It's a good thing to receive approval. The problem with the approval worshipper is that they are not ultimately satisfied or dependent on God's approval with them, but on others. Approval worshippers will do anything to seek others' approval and avoid rejection, even if it means not adhering to the word of God and ignoring God's approval of them. Now, every single one of us has an area, like, like I said, there could be other source idols there underneath. Every single one of us are dealing with some of these things. It could be one of them, it could be two, it could be all four. I don't know how you're doing. But what I want to encourage you with today is that we can change. We can move from the path of idolatry and move on to this path called contentment. Dealing with surface idols, it's, not gonna, it's gonna help for a little while, but it's not really the problem. We need to get to the core of the problem. Um, what can we do about idolatry really quickly? We need to acknowledge the idol. In Exodus 32, <coughs> the people of God, they, they built a calf. They, had, they gathered all their gold and stuff because they were waiting on God. And they're like, I'm done with God. Like, that's too much waiting, God. We're going to build our own God. So they build their own God out of a, a, a golden calf. You know what the Bible says? Aaron says, hey, we're actually going to offer this idol to the festival of the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. They offered the idol that God said, hey, don't build any idols, only worship me. They built an idol and then offered it to God. <laughs> How crazy is that? But sometimes don't we do the same, church? We say, we come before God, God, would you, um, I'd give this job to you, you know, this job is in your hands. Maybe that job is your idol and it's what God is saying, you need to give up. Or you need to give to me. Maybe there's a relationship that you say, oh God, would you just uh, help this relationship or be in this relationship? And God is saying, man, that's the idol that you're trying to offer me. First thing we need to do is acknowledge the idol. Idols can be deceiving. We don't even know when they're there. And then the second thing is we need to own it and repent. Man, this is tough. But here's the thing. When we are able to own our sin... That's when we experience true joy in Jesus Christ. Church, when we are able to say, God, I'm living this way, but I, I turn from it. I want to run towards you. You will experience true freedom, true joy in Jesus Christ. When we own it and repent from it, we move on to a different path. Instead of the path of idolatry, we move on to contentment. Being content. Romans 8, 7 says, The mind governed by the flesh, this is what we read, is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. 
When our minds are under the control of the Spirit, which means not like mind control technique type things, when we are living according to the Spirit, that what our decisions that we make are are based upon what the Spirit is telling us and not our own flesh, not our own earthly desires, we will experience life and peace. And that is being content, being content in Christ. Being content in Christ means you have repented and submitted your life to Him. Now You've repented, you've submitted your life to Him. And now you joyfully know that He's in control. Being content in what you have will never really last. They're all little G gods. They're counterfeit gods. It's about being content in Christ that keeps you in any circumstance. Listen to what Paul says to the Philippians. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Check this out. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's focus was Christ. Our contentment should be found in what Christ has done for us on the cross. Like we read before in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, it doesn't say for now there is no more sin. It doesn't say for now there is no more affliction or battles in the mind. For now there is no more you know, war going on within here. There's no more trials. What it says, there's no more condemnation. It says that for the Christian, the battle has been won. When we are in Christ Jesus, church, listen, this is what true contentment means. This is what true joy looks like for the Christian. Our happiness, our joy is in the cross. We are content because we know the thing that has the most significance in our life is not whether we are most successful in our job, although that can be a good thing. It's not whether our sport team wins the grand final, although that's a really good thing. It's not in anything else other than the cross of Jesus Christ because he gives us meaning he gives us true value he gives us true worth to live this life and you will experience true joy true peace and true meaning in this life our contentment our happiness true joy can only be experienced through the cross of Jesus There is no condemnation. We are not condemned in our sins any longer, but we are content because of the grace of God that has set us free from the penalty of our sin. Our idols will always try to rob our attention of the cross. It will try and pull us away from the cross, from what Jesus did. And eventually, that cross almost becomes an idol in itself. When Jesus is placed on the highest place of our lives, when he is king of our hearts, man, we will experience this thing called contentment and joy. Church, Jesus didn't die so that we could be rich. 
Jesus didn't die so that we could be wealthy or successful. Jesus didn't die so that oh, we could have, you know, be an influence in this world. He didn't die for that. Some of those things are okay. They're good. But what he died for was our sin. He died so we can live in eternity with the Father. And when we look to those other things, man, we reduce the power of the cross right down. And it becomes an idol in itself. Jesus wants all of us. He's God of all or not God at all, church. As Christians, we, we need to get a bit of our confidence back. I think like in, in America, they got that word. It's called swagger. You know, it's like, yeah, get a bit of swagger back. What do I mean by that? We need to start boasting again. Start walking a bit tall. Sounds ironic. That idolatry at the base of it is pride, but that's not what I'm talking about. Our boasting is not in ourselves, but only in Christ. Psalm 20 verse 7, it says, Some boast in chariots and some in horses. Some boast in the cars they have. Some boast in, check, check it out, I live in this suburb. But we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. Non-believers, non-Christians need to see us and be amazed by the joy that we have. Too many times we mope around like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling this joy. I'm not feeling this. It's because the idol has control of our lives and we're not on the path of contentment, but we're on the path of idolatry. They need to see that swagger. They need to see us boasting that, hey, I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. They need to be amazed. They need to be almost that laughing point that they're saying, are you crazy? Look what's happening in your life. But we need to be content in all circumstances, whether our stomachs are full or they're empty, whether we have a promotion or we don't, whether we get that good job or we don't, whether we have a successful family or we don't, whether, you know, we need to be content in who Jesus is, and people will see them and be like, I want that. That fully satisfies. Idolatry keeps us bound by the rat race to worldly pleasures and to ourselves. Contentment frees us from the bondage into living a life of true meaning. As the musos come up, being content in Christ means that he is God of all. So I just wonder for a minute, if, if you could just bow your heads for a moment, just close your eyes. Really important part of the service here. Man, this is a heavy message. It's heavy. But it's what God wants to say to us here to say, listen, you want to re you want to transform your thinking? We need to move from this path of idolatry where we, we put these gods, we put uh, control and comfort and power and approval and acceptance, all these things we, we put above God. We place more value in them than the king of all kings. And Jesus is saying, hey, seek me first. Seek my kingdom and all of those things will be added unto you. He says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't, don't worry about, you know, the image, your, your personal image. Don't worry about these things. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about wealth. All those things we, we can have and they're blessings from God. But don't put your full attention in them. Don't put your full focus in them. 
Give your attention to the cross, church. Put your life in the hands of Jesus. Come on, for some of you, God is speaking. God has spoken to some of you here this morning. Maybe you're struggling with, you know, one of those idols that I mentioned, or maybe it's just a ton of them. There's just stuff going on. Can I encourage you that this is not meant to say, hey, you're a weakling, you're never going to get over it, whatever. This is to say, hey, we need to acknowledge it, we need to own it and turn from it. Why can't that happen here this morning? Why can't this be the most significant day in your life where we repent, we turn from those idols, we turn from those counterfeit gods and say, God, you are number one. You are the one who's going to give me true joy and fulfillment. And I don't seek after joy, but I seek after you. I thank you for the cross and who you are, Jesus. So right now, maybe just let the Holy Spirit reveal some of those things we might not know those things that are going on under the surface. There are some idols we're not fully aware of. Don't let the enemy have you thinking that you're trapped and that this is who you are, church. You will never be freed from this. Are you kidding me? Do you think you can change? Are you kidding me? Did you just see what you did last night? Did you just see what you did last weekend? Church, that's the lie from the enemy. And he will have you trapped in fear and enslave you to those gods who promise the world but deliver nothing. And the Holy Spirit wants to say to you tonight, today, that there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ our Lord. Though we struggle, though we struggle with flesh and the Spirit, there's constant battle going on. Man, let's put our trust and our hope and our value and our worth at the feet of the cross of Jesus. And He's the one who's going to give us true life and true meaning. Our contentment, our joy will be found in Him. Thank you, Lord. Come on, would you stand with me, church?